I welcome Aaron Kim to this testimonial interview. I thank you for taking some time today, Aaron, to share a bit of your spiritual journey with us. So how about if you start, Aaron, by just giving a little bit of your family background in terms of your upbringing? Sure. Um, I was born and raised in California, um, around Orange County. I was born into a loving Christian family. So my parents, um, they've been believers ever since I've been born. And um, my mom was, um, she disciplined us a lot, and we needed it. And me and my brother, I have a younger brother as well, who's two years younger. And uh, we grew up just being taught as soon as I could remember just that God is real and um, many uh, truths about what is in the Bible and just kind of flutter our minds with all the Bible stories. And I went to church you know, every Sunday. I feared God at an early age. And my dad was always uh, my spiritual mentor. Um, he's always been, he's just always gentle, full of love and never heard him raise his voice in my life and he's just always was he's always is and still i mean always was in the word just always reading and um he's just very gentle with us even though we had we didn't do that well in school and junior high and high school he knew that if as long as we walked with god would be okay and in college we did much better by the grace of god so we stayed in California for the first 10 years, and once my dad became an ordained pastor, we moved out to the Midwest and went to Ohio for a year, went back to California for about three months, and we finally came to Indiana. And um, I was 12 years old when we moved out here, and I'm 34 now, and I'm still here. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much. Um, what a blessing to have parents that love the Lord and, and love you and your brother. Nationality-wise, uh, are your parents from Korean background? Yes. So both of both sides of my family, my parents, um, they both immigrated from Korea at the time at the Korean War. So there was no North or South at the time, but it was just beginning to divide. And they uh, immigrated to California, and that's where they met. So I still speak Korean with my mom. Uh, but I speak English with my dad. So my Korean is at almost like a first grade level, and it's been there for a long time, just enough to get by. Well, it's great to have uh, more than one language and be enriched by more than one culture. So that's fascinating. Well, tell about your journey since college then. Sure. So <clears throat> I've been dating my wife since freshman year, the beginning of college, and we've been dating ever since um, until we got married at 24. So now we have two daughters, Chloe and Abby. They're seven and four. And um, I've been working as an accountant for the last 10 years. I've been pretty involved in the local church I'm at. It's a, kind of like an immigrant, immigrant Korean church, but we have an English ministry. And um, I lead worship. I've been doing that for about three years. About your spiritual journey, Aaron, when did you come to know the Lord as your Savior? Sure. So I struggled a lot in coming to salvation, um, even in junior high, high school, um, even in college, but especially junior high and high school, I uh, always doubted my salvation. And so, you know, people would calm me down and make me feel better by just saying, if I confess it with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. And so that would calm me down. But I always knew that there's always something stirring in me that just didn't feel right. And so every church retreat I would go to as a kid, I'd always raise my hand to receive salvation. 
I have <clears throat> pastors pray over me, and it just didn't seem right. And the truth was I wasn't saved at the time, even though I confessed it with my mouth so many times. And uh, I just asked God to give me some sort of confirmation. But it wasn't until I graduated from Purdue and um, I left Purdue and came to Indianapolis. And my whole life, I've been surrounded by just like loving family and good friends. So I was always around people and I'm more of an extrovert. So uh, that's kind of like what I thrived off of, just being around people. So when I came to Indianapolis at 22, I was by myself. I had no family or friends here, but I would drive back every weekend to be with my family and friends. But on the weekdays, I'd be alone. And I started to um, realize that I, was, I was just wasn't feeling that well. Like um, after a year of just working, coming home, uh, basically preparing dinner, watching one movie and going to bed, I just repeat that over and over. And just by myself, um, loneliness started to creep in. And I've never experienced this kind of loneliness, but it developed into a mild depression. And after about a year and a half of living like this, I kind of went into a crisis with my religion. Like I didn't know if I believed in, I said I was a Christian just because I was born under a Christian family. And I you know, asked myself if I was born under a Muslim family or Hindu, would I be that religion? And so I, I knew I needed to find out for myself. So I went on a, almost like a, I call it a six month mission to figure out what all the major religions are about. So I spent a considerable amount of time maybe three to four hours a day for close to six months, like studying how each religion began, what the evidences were for it. But in the end, make a long story short, our Christianity had uh, Jesus's miracles and the prophecies that came true and are still out there, and there's no other religion like that. And so I decided this is the right faith. That's some really strong evidence. And even some atheist Romans who didn't believe have journaled like Jesus' miracles and much evidence about the resurrection. So I I started to go towards um, believing back to Christianity. And one night, um, I was in my little studio apartment, and it was 10 p.m., and I was reading Billy Graham's Peace with God and reading the book of Matthew and the Bible. I remember just getting on my knees, and I felt pretty depressed. I felt like there was no purpose to this life except just working to eat. And I prayed to God, and I closed my eyes, and I saw um, Earth on my lower right below me. I was just kind of in blackness, uh, maybe in space. And this Earth was like a photo of what NASA would take a shot of Earth, just blue Earth. And on my upper left was Jesus floating, like in a white robe. And I just, I was looking at the Earth. My head was fixed that way. And I prayed, Lord, I'm going to turn away. I turn away from this world. And I turned to you and I physically looked towards God and he flew into my body, like into my chest. And then I started to just, I couldn't control myself. I started screaming up the top of my head just with tears and relief. And I think I did that for maybe half an hour. And I was sure, I was like, their cops are going to come. Like my neighbors are going to like think I'm getting murdered or something. But nothing happened like that. And I just kept on doing that for like 30 minutes. And then the next day, everything changed, even just like how everything looked to me, like physically just changed. My depression was gone. Loneliness was just, I couldn't even think of that anymore. And I was so happy. It's full of joy. And um, ever since then, my life has changed. Like I used to love money. 
ever since that day, and I found out a month after that, I couldn't care less. You know, and so <clears throat> I've been seeking God ever since. And um, yeah, that's when my that I knew I was saved at that point. And many people would like to have that kind of a vivid vision, Aaron, as you did, but that also was a culmination of six months of really sincere and intense study, three or four hours a day. So I think it needs to be kept in context that the Lord was gracious to give you that visual reinforcement. And praise God for that um, assured salvation and the changes that God provided through reassuring you of salvation and granting you that awareness of his indwelling life. Yes, but I thank God for it very much. Now, we would sometimes assume that uh, you would live happily ever after, but um, about a year ago, there were some trials that came your way. And so at this point, you're you're married, you have your two precious daughters um, leading worship, and yet um, you slid into a personal crisis, eh? Yes. And this was uh, you know, the type of crisis I didn't even know existed. And to give a little background, too, before... Um, this all is connected is maybe three years ago, four, four years ago, I started to feel like I needed to do more for God. And so I started to set up Bible studies, prayer meetings in church. It would only last a couple months and it would just fail. And I even went to seminary like two years ago, trying to be better prepared for whatever God wanted to use me for. And that failed as well. I dropped out because the workload was just too great with being a family man and having a full-time job. And so at that point, I gave up, and I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do, so I'm just going to walk with you. I'm just going to get to know you more, and I'm going to let you like do whatever you want. And so I almost took like kind of a passive role, and I remember my dad telling me about the exchange life that he's been reading from Grace Fellowship International, but just kind of went in one year out the other, and it sounded good, but I knew that what he was saying was right for the Holy Spirit to live in me and through me that his will become my will. Those are like the main things I remember. So I kept on praying that prayer. I think I prayed that prayer for a while. Um, so finally, one one day after I came back from vacation, and this was about a year ago with my family, we actually came back from Hawaii, so the time difference was six hours. So I went to bed, and I had just the worst sleep. Um, it was just waking up so often. I don't know if I... It felt like I'd even sleep, and I thought it was jet lag. And I'm just going to tell you everything up front. You know, I didn't know this at the time, but my mother-in-law sent Korean ginseng from extract from Korea to help us with our immune system. It's just kind of like a supplement. Uh, it's expensive, apparently, and um, I don't recommend it to anybody, by the way. But I've been taking that because I <clears throat> knew that I didn't get much sleep, so I took it to help my immune system, but what the biggest side effect for Korean ginseng was insomnia. I didn't realize that because I started taking it right when I got back from Hawaii, so I thought it was jet lag. Mm. So I was taking that like pretty much almost every day because, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I need my immune system to come up. So basically that drug or that supplement kept me from sleeping for the whole like period of torture was 90 days. Through that um, Korean ginseng not letting me sleep, I started to panic. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And um, I started to try to 
And I was like, oh, maybe it's nothing. And after it continued for like two weeks, I knew there was something wrong with me. And so I started to kind of just look online, see what the, you know, if there's any solutions. And uh, there was nothing. I mean, just my problem was just weird. It's not even out on the internet. I just um, just couldn't sleep. And then so I got this cognitive behavioral therapy book on some psychologist, on sleep expert person, um, just giving me some guidelines on what to do. And it's kind of preparing for sleep one hour in advance, uh, make sure all the lights are dim and get yourself sleepy and then fall asleep and do this and do that. Don't eat. And, you know, you want to exercise every day, do this. So I started doing that. And then I, I realized my sleep wasn't getting, it got a little better and then it went back to normal. It was just, I mean, not normal, but, you know, just the bad sleep that it has been before. And then I started to um, develop panic attacks. I didn't even know what panic attacks were at the time. I just, I called them triggers because these weird random things would make my heart start something really crazy. Um, Just even some abnormal noises or if I drop my book when I'm sleeping or trying to sleep, it would just trigger a panic attack in me. And after 40 days from, from the start, I prayed to God and I surrendered to him just saying, I only surrendered saying, I'll endure the suffering. I, I accept it from you. And then a thought came into my mind that I know it's from the Holy Spirit because it was, it was so alien to me. It was like a complete sentence. We're saying, what has changed in your life ever since this hardship started? And then I answered that question. I said, it was a Korean ginseng. And I looked it up on Google and it was insomnia. And so I thought I was cured, but what really happened was by then the panic attacks and my basically um, my super hypersensitivity to sleep has already set in. And now um, I was getting these panic attacks at night when I was trying to follow these cognitive behavioral therapy methods. And I didn't know this was happening, but those psychology methods were making the panic attacks worse and worse, more powerful. And now they're getting so powerful at night that I would get it like 1 in the morning or 11 p.m., 3 a.m., I would just start sweating, like cold sweat. My whole body would just start sweating. My heart feels like it's going to come out of my chest and my eyes would just get wide open and I could not sleep. And now I was really scared because now I know it's not the Korean ginseng. It's out of my system. Now what's wrong with me? So you're saying that you, um, at that point, kind of gave it to God and, and more fully surrendered and the Holy Spirit whispered to you, you know, what has changed? You did some research and, aha, you know, side effect of ginseng. So you stopped taking that supplement, but the patterns were still there because they become so ingrained, you know, the the ground had been given to the enemy perhaps. And so even without that supplement being a physical cause, um, the soul conflicts and spiritual warfare were still quite severe and the lack of sleep continued. Exactly. Uh, yes, that's exactly what happened. Like after the 40 days, it was too late. The devil already set up a stronghold, if you will, in my mind and used sleep to bring me down. And um, <clears throat> so it started to get worse and worse. And like I said, the total days was 90 days. And within that time period, especially after I found out it was a cringing thing, and then I realized there's some mental issue, I uh, took very... Um, drastic measures. So I went to the doctors multiple times trying to get a solution and I was given a total of six prescription drugs. And what these drugs did to me is only by the hand of God. They had harmful effects on me. 
when I took a sleeping pill, it actually made me sleep less than if I didn't have it. And I took mm-hmm. an anti-anxiety calming uh, medicine uh, to help me sleep. It kept me up for nearly two days straight. And I found out it was like 1% of the people's body react in the opposite direction. I was reacting everything in the opposite way. Wow. And so the drugs were actually hurting me. And so my doctor just didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what to do. And so I went to the cognitive behavioral therapy more, and that just kept on making my panic attack worse, and I realized that. And so I knew the whole psychology field couldn't help me. All their methods were actually more harm- harmful to me. And finally, um, towards closer to the 90 days, I was admitted into a mental hospital for suicidal patients. And this was probably my lowest point. And um, actually, that wasn't even my lowest point because I still had some hope maybe the hospital could help me. But when I got there, their therapy had absolutely, it was almost useless. It just didn't do any good for me. And I knew there was no hope in the hospital. And also, I was very sad in that hospital. Almost nobody, pretty much nobody had hope in there except for those that were just on drugs, which just altered their mind and they felt better that way. But that was a very dark time. And so now I was in a position, so to relate to the depression I had when I came to salvation, I call that mild now because I realized what a like real bad depression is. So when I, was, when I was depressed in the beginning of this trial, I didn't want to talk with people, but later I got so desperate, I started just talking with everybody, trying to get a solution if they knew any ideas. But now at this point, after realizing no person, hospital, drug, and I felt like God wasn't helping me either, I felt there was no help at all. I entered kind of a despair. Um, but this depression started kind of causing me to die in the inside. And I was um, pretty much suffocating from the depression. So in the daytime, I was um, just getting killed felt like I was suffocating from depression, and then the chest pains were so bad now, it was bringing me to my knees at home, and I just cover my carpet with my tears, and at work, I'm about, I thought I was going to lose my job, because my boss had me meet with her and her director and asked if I could continue my work, because they knew that I, I just couldn't even focus for four seconds at a time on my work, so I was getting almost nothing done. And the chest pains were so bad at work, my whole like sleeves would be covered in my tears. And then those constant fearful and suicidal thoughts were just running through my mind. And then at night, the panic attacks kept me awake pretty much all night. I felt like I was getting very little sleep, just sweating through the night. So I was getting, I was being tortured day and night, and I didn't know what to do. So at this Aaron, point, Aaron, if I could, if I could interject sure. a comment, knowing how devout uh, you are at things, if someone came to you at that place of, of despair and said, you just need to repent, you just need to read the Bible more, you just need to pray more, you know, how would you have received, you know, that kind of admonition at that point? You know, I would have probably tried to do whatever I felt might have, you know, might work at that time, but honestly, my 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 ears were just kind of shut with um, any kind of, those kind of advices at that time. Um, I almost, I pretty much checked out. I was like kind of dead already. And then so if someone told me that, I probably would have almost no hope in that. So you probably were continuing to look for answers. Like you said, you you went from 
kind of an isolated depression to desperately getting any any advice and you seem to try whatever bit of advice people would give you. Right. But at that point, after this carried on and everything was actually making me worse, I stopped, pretty much I stopped trying. And now I had a shotgun to my head multiple times just wanting to stop the misery. And I got to tell you about these uh, suicidal thoughts. They were extremely powerful and they were almost, it felt like a delightful thing. Like whenever I thought of it, it came in like a something from a nice person. I mean, it was from the devil. I didn't know it at the time, but it felt very smooth and comforting that if you just kill yourself, you won't be tortured anymore. It'll all end. You'll go to heaven. It'll be okay. Just pull the trigger. And so I'd have the shotgun pointed to my head, just putting my comfort in the shotgun to just end it for me. And I'd have it pointed at me many times. I've researched a lot on what happens to a born-again Christian when he takes his own life. And I was convinced that you go to heaven, so it seemed like the suicidal thoughts were almost, you know, like good. It was a wise decision at this time, which is further, I mean, it's just so wrong. You know, of course, now I look at it. And so finally, I just, I ended up not being able to kill myself because of two things. I feared God. I didn't know what I would say to him, like after I killed myself. Or those people that say, you do go to hell. You know, and I wasn't 100% sure. I'm like, how could anyone really know? And also, every time I thought about leaving my wife, Colette, and my two daughters without a father and a husband, it broke my heart into millions of pieces. I, even I look at my girls and I start weeping during that time. And so this was uh, after the 90 days. I remember I was sitting in my bed and I just gave up. I finally came to the absolute ends of myself where I couldn't kill myself but I couldn't stop getting tortured. There was no solution anywhere, and I just gave up. I just didn't even do the sleep method where you just prep for so I just laid down. And that night, I actually got the first decent amount of sleep. I actually got about six hours of sleep for the first time, I think, in a long time, and I woke up and the depression was gone. But I didn't even realize that depression was gone until a few days after. It's kind of hard to tell with the anxiety, uh, panic attacks, fearful to all that mixed in, but it was by God's grace. And then I had a little, I'm like, what just happened to me? And the very next day, I know this was engineered by God. My dad gave me the book or told me about the book, Handbook to Happiness. And I was thinking, why didn't he tell me about that way before, you know, this time? And I asked him and my dad said, when he like heard how bad it was, like what I was going through, he only knows one other person that had it this bad, and it was a man named Charles Solomon. And he just recalled that book. And he says he, when he um, <clears throat> read that book, he couldn't understand how a person could suffer like that mentally. And so that's what came to mind. And it was, I think it was the very next day, once I like totally came to the end of myself, that he told me about it. And I don't know why, I just, I ordered the book on Amazon, I need to do anything I can. And once I opened that book and I started to read it, I saw myself in this book. It's like next to the Bible, no other book penetrated my soul like this book. And I saw myself in it and I started to hope that this hardship was engineered by God, like the book says, for me to give up control by dying, by my, by dying to myself in order that Christ, who already lives in me, to live through me. So I started to have hope in this 
new idea. It was new to me. I haven't really thought of this in connection with my suffering. And so that actually was my first little spark of hope after I got to the end of myself. And I need to also give credit to uh, some of my church people that God used uh, to help me and letting me know that you won't die if you don't get enough sleep. And um, one guy had OCD, and he told me that if I stick to the routines, it'll cause worse panic attacks. So that was really helpful. But that was not not the solution. Um, So you came to the end of yourself. You thankfully were delivered from the suicidal temptations, uh, and then you finally got some rest. Um, And as you fully let go uh, in that sense of brokenness, the Lord prompted your dad to tell you about Handbook to Happiness, and then you saw in Charles Solomon's testimony something that you recognized. And so praise the Lord for your openness, Aaron, to to um, read the book and have have hope as it started to arise in your heart that God did have a solution and his name is Jesus, right? Yes. Amen. And, and um, how did he lead you forward as you continue to explore the truth of Christ being your source of living? So at this point still, um, I was suffering considerably. And that six hours of sleep I got that one day, that was uh, not normal. My sleep went back to being pretty bad. And so... I was just kind of all over the place um, with that. And the fear and the suicidal thoughts were still rampant in my mind because um, it just still hurt so bad. So this was definitely a turning point, <clears throat> but a slow turning. It didn't just uh, cure me all at once, but I just started to slowly come back up. This is when I actually contacted you, Dr. Woodward, and because I found out that Charles Solomon had a ministry called Grace Fellowship International, and I heard that a man named Dr. Woodward was now the director in charge. And when I called and I found out that I could get counseling from you, I thank God with all my heart. Uh, I was actually afraid I might get some sort of intern or new employee. And uh, I knew I needed some real counseling from uh, like a mature man of God. And I believe God saved you you for me this time to just basically save my life. And so this first month, the first two months was actually excruciatingly painful. <clears throat> the fearful thoughts were just this crippling. I think that's what caused all my symptoms, by the way, the fear that just penetrated my soul. But through the counseling, uh, Dr. Woodward showed me, and he convinced me that the purpose of my suffering was to appropriate the life of Christ. And that I knew that the key was in Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6, 7, and 8 about my death, burial, and resurrection and my position and identity in Christ. So that was kind of just setting my head positioned to the solution. Now, I I didn't know exactly how to get there, so this was a long journey, um, a few months journey. It hurt really bad. I I can't even explain it with uh, the appropriate words, so the kind of pain that the anxiety panic attacks and all that, and the fearful thoughts um, caused on me. But I remember through that, um, about two weeks out after 90 days, one of the biggest confirmations and encouragements I got from God, and I still hang on to it, was I woke up and I, I was taking a shower, and I remember I just couldn't take it anymore that day. I just couldn't do that day. It was too hard. I, I was just out of strength. And I cried out to God while I was taking a shower, Lord, I need some sort of encouragement. I need your help. I can't do this day without you. You're going to have to carry my hand something every 15 minutes. 
And so about an hour, hour and a half later, I got into work and I checked my phone. And I see on Facebook a reminder saying, you typed this one year ago. It was October 4th, 2016. And it says, uh, I wrote this. I realized praying for more of God to live in me and through me and to surrender my will to his will are my true blessings and goals in life. Nothing else compares. Putting everything in God's care brings enormous peace and joy. So at that point, I didn't really know what this prayer meant, and but I knew it was good, and I was praying this prayer for a long time. And that very day when I asked God for encouragement, he showed me exactly why I was suffering, and it was exactly that. Galatians 2.20, he was answering my prayer and living in me and through me for his will to become my will. So I thank God, that I, even yesterday, today, for that confirmation. And <clears throat> it's, uh, after that, I got a boost of encouragement, like such a boost that it kept me going <laughs> from there and just helped, aided in my recovery. So the year before, and, uh, the Lord was laying laying that truth on your heart, and then a year later when you were in the process of learning how to appropriate those truths, he reminded you and gave you that encouragement and hope. Yes, and that was worth more than any amount of money or anything anyone could give me. That was just power into my soul. So with this, um, yeah, doc, Dr. Woodward, you led me to what it means to totally surrender. and. Once you laid out to me what this really looked like, it was really difficult for me to come to total surrender. I thought I was totally surrendered, but I wasn't. You know, I surrendered my hopes and dreams, my health, my sleep, the pain and suffering I go through, the health and life of my children. I surrendered it all, but one thing I really had a tough time surrendering was uh, I was afraid that God would let me go back into that fierce depression I had. I was so terrified of that depression that, I, you know, I'd rather die. So I don't know why. It was, it was a spiritual warfare going on. And um, I think I agonized over it for about two weeks. And finally, through the word of God, through especially Romans 8.28, that he'd use all things for my good, and Second Corinthians 12.9, that his grace is enough. And then with Galatians 2.20 saying, you don't even need to do it. It's his life in you. I was able to surrender even going through depression or any kind of suffering to God. So I came to total surrender um, through that leading. That, again, wasn't the time where I had the, the revelation of just Christ really in me. I had it all intellectually still at this point. And, but then I had to address this um, suicidal thoughts. It was still just not as serious of a threat, but it was still just permeating my mind. I remember one day, Dr. Neil Anderson, and I think my dad repeated him where he told me in a, some sort of a sermon that if you're thinking any thoughts that you don't want to think of, it's not from you. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to think of these suicidal thoughts. And so Dr. Neil Anderson is saying that it's from the devil. So as James instructs in the book, in the Bible, I submitted to God and I rebuked the suicidal thoughts in the name of Jesus. And at that very moment, those thoughts just stopped. That was a miracle. It opened my eyes to spiritual warfare is real. I just couldn't believe it that these thoughts were not mine, but they were actually from the devil. And it was just more than enough evidence because I still don't have them. It's just gone. It just ended that moment. It's like almost just coming out of a fire. It was, it was amazing. And at that point, 
I started to rebuke all the fearful thoughts, asking God to take every thought captive and make them obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and for him to fight for me while I submitted. And he faithfully fought for me. I didn't even try to argue with the devil. The devil would give me all these clever, fearful thoughts. I'd write them down and i challenge him and I'd get even more scared. So this time, I just didn't try to figure anything out. And I asked God to just fight for me while I just submit to him. And he did exactly that. That was a miracle. Amen. The battle belongs to the Lord. And he defended you and that gave you uh, more peace so you could process the truths of your identification with Christ. Yes. Yes. And another huge attack I got from the devil was um, when I was trying to appropriate the life of Christ and cling on to the Bible verses and the promises of God, I realized I started lacking faith and these thoughts came into my mind saying that if you don't believe it, they're not true for you. And so I started to falter and get really fearful again. And I knew if the Bible wasn't true, I knew I had no hope. I'd be a dead person. So I put aside all my doubtful thoughts and I ignored my emotions and I simply willed myself to believe in the promises in the Bible no matter what. I just kept on reading and I kept on willing myself, this is true, I believe it. And after four days of doing this, my doubting just stopped and God strengthened my faith. And so I was able to believe again and even stronger into all the promises in the Bible, especially Romans 8.28, 2 Corinthians 12.9 and Galatians 2.20. And so that was a huge obstacle that God um, helped me with. <clears throat> so at this point, I was able to uh, rely on scripture, submitting myself to God and depending on God to fight for me in my mind. And this helped me tremendously over the next maybe two months. And I started to actually feel better and my sleep actually started to just get better on its own. Um, but it was still a massive battle every day. And I kept on meditating on Galatians 2.20. And um, I knew um, I still didn't have the revelation from God. I just knew I didn't. So I kept on seeking his life, um, almost like an insane person, where um, that's all I did. I read books, Bible verses. I got counseling from Dr. Woodward, and I prayed like crazy. And my wife, Colette, was, it was driving her a little crazy because that's all I thought and breathed. And um, <clears throat> after about three months of seeking, I was you know, talking with you, Dr. Woodward, and you just said to me, Ephesians 1.3. And to paraphrase this, the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you asked me, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? And I realized it was past tense, and that's when it hit me. Just a simple verse, I felt it almost just go from my head to my heart, like a leather covering on my heart. I don't know how to explain it. I just knew from that moment on that Christ was in me, that he really did enter my body and that he gave me all the spiritual blessings, everything I needed, and I could rely on his life in me. And so once I realized that, I just knew right there that I praised God, and I just praised him and thanked him, and I stopped asking him ever since. And to confirm this, that night when Colette came home, <clears throat> I was telling her about it. I said, Colette, God finally gave me the revelation. And I told her, and she was confused. I was like, how could you just get it like that? And then she was reading, actually, The Normal Christian Life by Watch Beneath. And she was, oh, my goodness, look at this paragraph I'm reading. 
and she read that paragraph that she was on, and it said something along the lines that when a man is seeking the Christ life, it's like he's trying to figure out a way to get into a room that he's already in. But once he finds out he's in that room, he stops searching and instead praises God and thanks him. And we both praise God together because we know that's exactly what just happened to me that day. And so what this revelation did for me is it enabled me. So I'm already, I was already surrendered to God. And I was already trusting him, trusting in him. But because of this revelation, I was finally enabled to just rest in him. So I didn't have to work towards anything anymore. So um, because of that rest, because of that revelation, I have a much more powerful weapon, not just the Bible verses alone, but now I know that I did die, that it's Christ who lives in me. So when any kind of hardship, trial, fear, or circumstance comes, I reckon my death with Jesus on the cross, and it's no longer I who needs to live this life, but he's going to take care of it for me. He's going to live through me so I could just simply rest in him. So immense power came from that. I still live off that power. And um, basically, I'm keeping that alive, this truth, by regularly just reading the Bible, praying and fellowshipping with other believers, especially who have understand this Christ life. And that's how I receive power, to continue to surrender trust and rest in God. Amen. As I as I rejoice in, in what God has done in your life, Aaron, I, I recognize how there was uh, the recognition of your co-death and co-resurrection with Christ. And in our process together, we thank God for that. We looked at the scriptures. You affirmed it. There was a personal reckoning, you know, of your identification with him. Um, but then also when God opened your eyes to, to Ephesians 1, 3, that these are things he's already given you and that these are realities, um, then, as you put it, you were able to rest in him, as he says in Matthew 11, come unto me and I'll give you rest, not only salvation rest, but discipleship rest, rest in your soul, a yoke that's easy that, and a burden that is light. And so as, as you come to that place of rest and abiding, Aaron, how, how have the symptoms improved? So now that after I got that revelation, basically God has freed me completely from insomnia anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and all medications. He just completely delivered me from all of that when the medical world and no other person could even have any kind of progress. They all made me worse. So it was a complete miracle by God. And now I'm actually better off than I, much better off than I was than about a year and a half ago when I didn't know this. Well, to God be the glory. We rejoice in that. And uh, I think because of how drastic your problems were and how vivid your breakthrough was as God in the words of Ephesians chapter 1 he opened the eyes of your understanding you know to appropriate Christ as your life by faith um he's given you opportunities to to share your Christ's life testimony with others hasn't he yes and <clears throat> that's just amazing to me too like i stopped trying now to serve god and i just i focus on just walking with him and to just live off his life, his strength, resources. And, and in the last month, he's just uh, put me in positions to share um, his testimony, the power of this exchange life, mine for his. So my head pastor, he saw, my whole church saw what I went through and my whole countenance. 
I was just horrible looking. I lost 15 pounds. I was looking like a zombie. Um, I, I used to be, well, I'm, I'm a humorous guy now too. Back to that extrovert, I was uh, very secluded and everyone was worried or you know about me and no one could help me. So once they saw that my countenance changed and God just totally delivered me, they were shocked and they asked me what happened. And I told them the testimony. And so my pastor had me share the testimony at Easter. So it's been some time now with the entire church, so the entire congregation, not just our EM speaking. And uh, I think that was maybe like 200, 250 since it was Easter time. And like so a lot of people were blessed um, after they came and told me through that. And I know that God set that up. And then my dad invited me to come and speak to the college students at Purdue. And another 100 college students came and heard the testimony. And then just um, three weeks ago, another pastor from uh, Columbus, Ohio, asked me to come and speak. And we actually set the date for May 20th now uh, to speak on, actually on a Sunday service with the congregation there. And just this week, um, this Bible study fellowship, it was ending and we're having some sort of a meeting um, to close it all off before a four-month break. And they asked me to come, all the members, about a month ago. And I told them I couldn't make it because on Tuesdays we have to, I have to take my daughter to swimming and Colette takes my other daughter to piano so last week I prayed to God, I don't know what this is, this meeting, but if you want me to go, just please make a way. And the day before, for some reason, my wife um, changed the schedule for my daughter swimming so I can go, which was very unusual because she usually wants me to stay home and help take care of the kids. And it was actually hard for her to even let me go on Mondays to the Bible study. So I asked her, what made you do that? And she said she was just burdened in a peaceful way that I should go to this thing, whatever it was. So I get there, and it happens to be testimony night. And the pastor asked, and there's about 150 men there, and the pastor asked, um, how has God been working in your life in the last year? So I knew God put me there. I just knew, and I raised my hand after about 15 people shared. And I shared really quick, about three to four minutes, just the words came flowing out. And then after that, it ended. About 10 men approached me and just were... Some of them just poured themselves out. One man said that it was an answer to his prayer to hear this, that fireworks were going off, and he was relating with me. And actually, I'm meeting him tomorrow to fellowship. Another man said his daughter was um, battling depression for six years. They don't know what to do. They're out of options. And he asked me for the name of that book, and I told him Handbook to Happiness. And other people were suffering from par- this guy with paranoia and um he underst- kind of understood what I was going through. And again, I refer him to Handbook to Happiness. And there's just so many people I had no idea that kind of like appreciated that kind of message and needed help. So that, and this is none of my own initiative. So I kind of, I'm getting the groove on learning how to live. Just That's just waiting on God, just being open to him, surrender and letting him do whatever he wants. Amen. So it's it's a life of cooperation with him. You're yielding to him. You're trusting him, and you're just cooperating as he opens doors. Uh, Aaron, it reminds me that when we receive Christ as Savior, it's like crossing the Red Sea, and then the wilderness is like that turmoil of trying to live the Christian life out of our old identity and and our own strength. And then when when Galatians two twenty goes from head to heart, so to speak. Uh, when we appropriate by faith that we're co-crucified and co-raised with him and trust him to live through us. It's like crossing the Jordan River in the book of Joshua where they cross over into the land of Canaan. And so Canaan represents 
the abiding life where Christ is the true vine and you you and I believers are the branches. So we rejoice in how God is bearing fruit through you, um, that you have the testimony of salvation and identification with Christ. And uh, we just pray that as people hear this recording and, and other opportunities you have, that they'll see that the victorious life message in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, is relevant for people who need counseling answers. And uh, we give God glory for what he's been doing and how he's answered prayer in your life. Yes, amen. Yes, one <clears throat> one prayer request is that I've been noticing my self-life is still trying to compete with Christ's life. And I pray that I just become less and God becomes more. Because I noticed uh, there's um, it's just competing for I don't know if it's pride or just trying to take control back, and I I could sense it now. I'm more sensitive to it, so I pray that you know God would really help me with becoming less, and that He becomes more. Amen. There, and that's my prayer for my own life too. Because there, um, there's also what we call the daily cross, Luke 9:23, where our Lord says. If we would come after him in terms of wholehearted discipleship, we are to deny ourselves, meaning our independent living, um, and follow him. And that's Luke 9.23, it says uh, daily, right? So it is a daily yes. walk, and um, that keeps us humble, keeps us realizing that it's not just an experience to achieve, it's a relationship, right, to enjoy and cultivate, you know, and maintain. So uh, we'll pray that for you and for each other. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for taking your time to, uh, in the words of Psalm 40, to describe how God has delivered you from the miry clay and set both feet on the rock of Christ as your Savior, Lord, in life. And may God bless you and your family in the days to come. Thank you very much. And God bless you, Dr. Woodward, and your family and your ministry. God is using it very powerfully. Thank you, Aaron. Praise the Lord. To him be the glory.